Well, good morning and welcome to Restoration Church Online. I am so excited to be able to worship with you today. Uh, what a beautiful day it is. Before we jump into the message, I want to take a moment and just speak pastorally for a, a moment. This past week, Restoration Church announced that we are now going to offer two opportunities for you to worship with us. You can worship with us in this way through our online videos and online worship, or starting this weekend, we're resuming a modified physical gathering on Sunday mornings at the Seasons Performance Hall at 1030. And I cannot tell you how many interesting conversations this decision has sparked within our church. Listen, in our faith, we believe that there are some close-handed issues and some open-handed issues. These close-handed issues, we've got to be in agreement on. They're significant. They're gospel issues. And then there are open-handed issues that we can have liberty to view things differently. And I want to clarify that this decision to, to gather physically or not is an open-handed issue. It's not a gospel issue. That we have the Christian liberty to decide for ourselves based on our conscience and our comfortability how we worship. And the thing I want to address in that is with, when you consider both of these ways to worship, one of them is not better than the other. One of them is not more loving than the other. In fact, the Apostle Paul addresses this idea in Romans chapter 14. He says we're not to argue over these disputed matters. He says the one person who believes in their conscience, they can eat anything, while there's another person who believes in their conscience they should only eat vegetables. Paul gives instructions to them and says, listen, the one who eats must not look down on the one who doesn't. And the one who doesn't eat must not judge the one who does because God has accepted them both. Listen, I, I can't tell you the amount of stress and weight uh, that our leaders have carried in this season if they've tried to figure out how do we lead the church in this season. Listen, there are some Jesus-loving Christians who, who feel that this decision was made too soon. And there are some equally Jesus-loving Christians who feel that this decision was made, should have been made long ago. And so as we move to these different worship options, I want to ask us to embrace Paul's word. Here's what Paul says in Romans 14, verse 5. He says, Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind, and let us not judge one another. So I'm excited. However you choose to worship, man, I love you. We're going to continue to engage with one another and trust that God will continue to grow us. But we're going to extend grace and love uh, to the people that choose to worship different than us. As we jump in today, golf, it's a great game. I love it and I hate it. It's the dumbest game ever. The reason I say that is because it is so hard. In fact, one of the things as I've, I've learned to play golf, one of the things they say is, is the key is soft hands. The key is just a, a, a smooth swing. The problem is every time I step up to the ball, I do what, I don't, I don't think this is just me. I think most of us have this problem. You step up to the ball and you're like, man, I'm gonna hit this ball as hard as I can. And so you swing as hard as you can and the ball goes every other direction. Because we have this idea that I'm going to swing as hard as I can and it's gonna be me that causes the ball to do what I want it to do. It's my strength, but that's not the way it works. The swing is important, but the results don't come from swinging hard. The results don't come from using all of our strength to make the ball fly. We've got to, when I golf, I'm always trying to remind myself, it's not about me and how hard I swing. This happens in so many other areas of life. In fact, our world is built on this idea that it's all dependent on me, on my strength, 
and my success depends on how hard I work and what I accomplish. In fact, I think about the TV show The Crown on Netflix. We were watching that a little while ago, and there was a scene where, where Prince Philip, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, the Queen's husband, he's a young boy, and he's off at school, and he's tasked with trying to build this huge fence. And he tries to do it on his own. And this is what we do. We try and do these things on our own. And I saw the Duke trying to build this fence, and he could not do it on his own. It wasn't until he stopped and had to ask for help. But how many of us live our lives like that? It's on our own strength. I'm going to do it on my own. I got this. I can make it happen. Our world says this is where success is found where we look at all of our strength and our smarts and our energy and we think, if I just have all these things and I work hard enough, then I will be effective. I'll be successful. I'll be fruitful. And it goes into so many areas of our life. It goes into our parenting. It goes into our marriage. It goes into our, our struggles with sin. And so we, 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 we go through our circumstances where you think, I'm going to try harder. I'm, I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to learn a little bit more. I'm going to make it happen. And we do the same thing in our faith. Where we think, man, if I'm going to succeed in all these other areas by my hard work and by my strength and by my accomplishment, then it happens the same way in my faith. And so we have this idea that we need to do more. We need to be at church more. We need to serve more. We do, 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 do. We have to ask ourselves, listen, where does effectiveness, where does fruitfulness in our life come from? This summer we're in a series in John chapter 13 through 17 that we're calling Last Words. This is where Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, and he spends a last couple of hours with his disciples. This is kind of like the commencement speech for a graduating party. They've been with Jesus for three years. They've learned as much as they can, and now Jesus is sharing some last words. He's summarizing it. Say, this is what I need you to remember, is I'm going to go and give my life as a ransom, and I will no longer be with you soon. Today, we're in John chapter 15. And what's happening is Jesus is going to take the disciples and they're going to go for a walk. They're going to leave the upper room and they're going to go for a walk. And as they're walking, they're going to pass a vineyard. And Jesus is going to use this vineyard to teach the disciples a lesson about faith and life. That our, our fruitfulness, our effectiveness, our success, our maturity, he's going to help us to understand where that comes from. It isn't what we do, it isn't our accomplishments that bring success. It isn't our strength that brings fruit in our life. That fruit flows out of our identity in Christ. That we are, we are right with God because of his great love for us. And not what we do and not what we accomplish in our own strength. And that is where the secret, the key to effective and fruitful life and ministry comes from. Is us engaging and plugging in with Jesus. So here's, here's where it starts out. John chapter 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser, which means the Father, God, is the gardener. The imagery here, it isn't as loaded for us as it would have been for Jesus' disciples and the Jews back in that day and age. We need to try and understand what Jesus was saying and how these disciples would have heard it. You see, throughout the Old Testament, they use this imagery of the vine and the branches. And the vine always represented God's people. It represented the Jews and the people of God. And the people of God, as the vine, they were supposed to produce fruit. Because that fruit is what brings glory to God. Yet every time that you see the vine talked about in the Old Testament, every time we see it, as, as the Old Testament, as Israel is the vine, 
we always hear that the vine did not bear fruit. Therefore, the wrath of God was coming. That as the purpose for the vine is to bear fruit, and as the people of God failed to do that, there was always going to be a wrath that is coming. And now Jesus comes on the scene. In light of how these disciples would have understood the vine, Jesus comes on the scene and flips the script. He says, listen, you are no longer the vine. He says, I am the true vine. See, see, see he's saying, you as a vine, you have failed. You haven't produced the fruit that God has asked for. You have not glorified God by the fruits you've produced. And now Jesus is saying, listen, I am the true vine. I'm going to be what you couldn't be. I'm going to accomplish what you have not accomplished. See, this right here is a, is a gospel pronouncement. As much as we strive and as hard as we work and as, try, as hard as we try to be moral and upright people, we continually fail and struggle. That's the reality of our lives. That no matter hard we, how hard we try, we can never be good enough for, for God's expectations. In fact, even in this season, we claim our righteousness. We claim, look how loving I am because of how I, I do this or how I do that. Yet we judge those that are different than us. And it shows us, and again and again and again, how we fall short. And so Jesus comes in and says, listen, I want you to understand this. I am the true vine. I am the one who loves perfectly, who does what, what you could not do on your own. So Jesus comes in and says, I am the true vine. And we are the branches that are connected to the vine. So if he's the true vine and we are the branches, Matt, I'd love for Jesus to say right now, I'd love for him to say, and now I'm going to bless you. Now I'm going to make your life easy. But that's not what he does. He says, now I'm going to prune you. Look what it says in verse two. He says, every branch in me, and I want you to circle those words in me. Jesus is writing to Christians. He's writing to, to, to believers. Those are the people that Jesus is writing to. He says, it's every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, the word takes away here comes from the Greek word uh, iro, which is better translated lifted up. So saying every branch of me that does not bear fruit, the, the gardener, God, will lift up. And he says, and additionally in verse 2, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. Again, if we understand the imagery that Jesus is trying to tell us, again, we know that God is the gardener. And if he sees a Christian, if he sees a branch that is not producing fruit, see what happens in that day and age is if you had a vine and a branch wasn't producing fruit, it would end up growing on the ground. And on the ground, it would instead of, instead of using its energy to try and produce fruit, it would use its energy to send roots into the ground. And so it would begin to draw nutrients from the ground and not from the vine. And so no longer would it produce fruit. And so that, 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 that's a bad thing. And so what a gardener would do is it wouldn't immediately come and cut off the branch and say this branch is wasted. No, the gardener would lift that branch up, pull it off the ground, set it up in the air, tie it to a, a lattice or tie it to a fence. So that way that branch would begin to draw its nutrients out of the vine and begin to produce fruit. In a similar way, Jesus says that a, that a branch that is producing fruit the gardener's going to prune it. He's going to cut it back. And this refers to a gardener cleaning a branch. Because when you prune it, you are, are getting rid of parasites and bugs and get a, getting rid of diseased parts of the branch that would hinder production of more fruit in the future. Listen, we think about how this 
image relates to us. We are supposed to, as Christians, have fruitful lives. We're supposed to produce fruit for God. And our fruit is not just our external moral and religious devotion. Fruit can be defined in two ways. We're going to see next week that fruit is defined in how we love one another. But fruit is also defined by Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, this is the fruit we're supposed to produce. Love, joy, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, peace. Against such things, there is no law. Listen, as I read that list, how many of you are sitting there thinking, man, I'm nailing that. I'm good. I do all those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. I do all those things for a T. I'm perfect. I don't need to hear that anymore. No, if we're going to be honest, none of us are there. None of us have achieved the fruit of the Spirit in perfection. And typically, we're going to find ourselves, if we're being honest, in one of two spots. Number one, we're not producing any fruit at all. Our lives aren't characterized by those things. Or number two, maybe we have some fruit. Like we're not where we once were, but if we're honest, we're not where we want to be. We're not where we should be. We're not where God would expect us to be. And because God wants us to produce fruit, because he wants us to depend on the vine, God prunes us which means sometimes he's going to lift us up. He's going to cut off the roots where we draw support from the wrong places. And he's going to put us in a place where we have to depend on the vine, where we have nothing else to do but depend on Jesus. Or other times, Jesus is, God's going to cut back areas of our life. He's going to put us again in places where we have to depend on him. And not just so we continue to produce our current fruit, but so that God can grow us even more. And I just want to help you and help some of us in this season. Some of us, we feel like, man, we're in the season of pruning. It feels like God is, is, is cutting things back. Things are being stripped back. We're going through difficulty. We're, we're feeling raw. We're feeling anxious. This doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. This doesn't mean that God is punishing you. It means that God is pruning you so that you learn to rely on, to abide in, to trust in, to draw from Jesus and not from anything else, so that we can produce fruit, so that we can be more fruitful, so we can become and look more like Jesus and have that fruit in our life. And here's, here's the crazy part, because Jesus continues this, this gospel picture for us, in that we don't clean ourselves, we don't make ourselves better, we don't make ourselves more fruitful. What he says to the disciples in verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He says, You're clean not because of what you've done. You're clean not because you've made yourself clean. You're clean because of what you believed. You've believed that I am who I said I am. You've believed that I am God in the flesh. You've believed that I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've believed that I am the Messiah, the one whose death will make you right with God. You see, somewhere along the way, we had this weird thing that crept into our minds, into our world, and even into the church. And it's this idea that we have to clean ourselves up before we, go, we come to God. We've got to get our life right. We've got to make sure things are just in order before we come to church, before we come and ex anticipate God accepting us. And Jesus is saying that's not the way it works. Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to clean yourself up before you come to me. Jesus is asking us to come to him, to believe in him, to, to believe in his love and his grace, to abide in him 
so that he can clean us up, so that he can change us. You see how it flips the way we would normally think about coming and approaching God? In fact, Jesus goes on, and here's the key in verse 4. Jesus says, If you abide in me, I will abide in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it is abiding or dependent or relying on the vine, neither can we produce fruit unless we abide, unless we fully depend on him. And in case, the, in case he's not clear, Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I abide in him, he bears much fruit. And here's the key. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, for us to live a faithful life, for us to be effective and successful, for us to produce fruit, it's not found on our own dependence. It's not found in our strength and our wisdom and our ideology. It's not found in us following a specific leader. Jesus just said we cannot live a fruitful and effective and successful life for the kingdom of God apart from complete dependence on him. That if we want to be effective and fruitful, that we have to abide in him. And this is just like golf. This is such a simple truth, but it is so hard for us to grasp. It runs contrary to everything that we are taught in this world. So the key for us to live fruitful lives, the key to us growing in our faith, the key to our success is not our own strength, not our own wisdom, not depending on ourselves. The key is abiding, remaining, depending, having a relationship with Jesus. That is the key. And you know what happens if we abide in him? Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about us producing fruit and works. If we are not abiding and producing his fruit, Jesus says the branches will be gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Listen, that verse, it ought to frighten us as Christians because he just said that we can live our lives for Jesus. We can be cared for by God as the gardener. He can cultivate our hearts to try and get us to abide and trust and depend on him. But if we don't abide, essentially he's saying our lives will matter for nothing. That our entire life will be taken and thrown into the fire and we will amount to nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 kind of continues on that idea. That our, our, our work, our fruit in this life will be revealed by the fire. And it says that our works will come. And if they're abiding in Christ, they will survive and we will receive a reward in heaven. But if our works, if our fruit, if we try to live our life depending on our own strength, we still believed in Jesus, we trusted in his salvation, but if we lived our life in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and tried to accomplish things on our own, 1 Corinthians 3 says those things will be burned up, and we will suffer loss even though we ourselves will still be saved. Listen, that scares me to think I can live my entire life for Jesus. I can live my entire life as a Christian and have my life count for nothing because I've lived it in my own strength and not in reliance and dependence and abiding and remaining in him. And you know what the result? You know the result of us abiding and remaining and trusting and depending on Jesus? We will produce fruit, that we will begin to love one another, that we will uh, produce the fruit of the Spirit, 
But also, look at this in verse 8. It says, this is how God is glorified. When we bear much fruit and we truly prove that we are his disciples. Listen, God is glorified when we abide in him when we depend on him, when we trust in him, when we live our life as he is a source for all that we do. This is when people are drawn towards God, when they look at us and they can see something different. They can see that God has done something in us, not in our own strength, but in what God can only do. And that is when people are drawn towards him. Listen, I say all this and and we said a lot. This is a, a powerful passage of scripture. And it's meant to show the disciples, it's meant to show you and I, that the fruit that God wants in our lives, again, that fruit, and we'll look at this next week, is that we would love one another. That fruit is that we would display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus is saying the only way for us to produce real fruit isn't cleaning ourselves up. It isn't us uh, gripping a golf club and swinging as hard as I can. It it isn't us being effective and doing things in our own strength. That effective Christian living an effective Christian life simply flows out of our identity abiding in Christ and Christ alone. Simply put, He is the vine, we are the branches. And it's only when we abide, when we rest, when we trust, when we depend, when we focus on our relationship with Him, it's only when we abide can we produce lasting fruit and truly make a difference in the world around us. And if that is what Jesus is trying to teach us, if that is what he's saying, the only way that we can have a a fruitful life and be effective for the kingdom of God is if we abide in him. How do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us very simply, number one, he says this. He says we are to abide in him. If you look at the definition for the word abide, the word abide means to obey, to observe, to follow, to heed, to accept. To abide in him means that we submit ourselves to him. We allow him to be the foundational part of our life that impacts our decision-making. It impacts how we live our life. To abide in him, it speaks to our, our will, to our choices, to the decisions we make. And so we choose, we have to choose. I'm going to abide in him. I'm going to allow him to influence the decisions that I make in my life and not some other thing to influence me. Let me tell you how I've had to learn through this. See, I've been a people pleaser for the majority of my life. I find myself saying what people, uh, what I think people want to hear instead of saying the truth or what I really felt because I've longed for people's approval. You could say I abided in the approval of people. I'm a branch, I'm a Christian, but the motivation sometimes for me becomes the approval of people. And that dictates the decisions I make and conversations I have. And I've had to go through some pruning. God has pruned me through some difficult conversations, some conversations in my wife and some other areas that I've had to realize that, that, this, that this abiding in people's approval has made me a poor leader, has made me a poor reflection of Christ. And so I've had to choose. I've had to make a, a choice, and I still make this choice on a regular basis. Not to abide in people's approval, but to abide in Christ, which means that I base my acceptance on Him and not other people. Listen, what does it look like for you to choose to abide in Christ instead of other things? 
I mean, if we're going to be honest, we are so quick to abide, to base our identity on so many other things, whether it be our strength, whether it be our, our wisdom, whether it be our knowledge, whether it be our own success, whether it be our political party. We allow so many things to influence us, things like I'm pro this and I'm against that. These are the things that we allow to, to uh, that we abide in and allow to influence our decisions. We, we, we base our decisions on our theological beliefs, on our morality, on our ministry experience. We abide on our career. We abide in our wealth. We abide in our power and our influence. And we have to ask ourselves, we have to face this decision. We have to choose who we are going to abide in. Are we going to allow the foundation, what we abide in, to be those things? Or are we going to allow our foundation, what we abide in, to be Christ? And it's a choice. It's a choice we have to make. It's a choice we have to make day by day to abide, to remain, to trust, to depend on Christ, to allow Him to influence our lives and not these other things. But there's more to it effective, fruitful living. Not only does Jesus say we have to abide in him, but verse seven, he also says we have to let his words abide in us. If we're going to be fruitful, we have to abide in him and allow his words to abide in us. See, sometimes it's easy for us to divorce Jesus from his teaching and his doctrine. And that's not the way it works. In fact, in fact, John 14, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor from long ago, he said this. He said, we cannot separate Christ from the Word, because in the first place, He is the Word. He is the Word. And in the next place, how can we call Him Master and Lord, yet not do the things He says, and yet reject the truth that He teaches? We must obey His words or reprove that we are not genuine disciples. See, we have to allow God's word to abide in us. And I, I'll give you this picture of this. I've got this cup of water here, and I've got this, this tea bag. Let's see if I can open this here for you. See, when we place this tea bag in this cup of water, the longer this tea bag remains in the water, the more the water is going to change. The more the water is going to begin to uh, taste stronger and be more like the tea. This is what happens. The water takes more of the characteristics of the tea. The tea becomes stronger and becomes, and the water becomes stronger, more like the tea. And so it is with the Word of God. The longer we meditate, the longer we abide in the Word of God, the less we become motivated by our own desires, the less our, we base our foundations on our own thoughts and our ideas and our political parties and the influence of other people. The longer we abide in Christ, the more we abide in His Word and allow His Word to abide in us, the more we are influenced by Jesus, the more we begin to reflect Him. This is what happens. And this is why Jesus says, if you abide in me and if my Word abides in you, He says in verse 7, you can ask, you can pray and ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Not because we are asking out of our own fear and out of our own pride, out of our own desires and insecurity and wisdom. But as we allow, as we abide in him and as we allow his word to abide in us, our character becomes so much like Jesus that pretty soon we're asking from the heart and the mindset of Jesus. Listen, let me ask you, 
How are you doing in reading the Word of God? Listen, we talk about this often. I bring this up often, and I want to challenge you as many times as I can to be in the Word of God. The reason I do that is because I know in my own Christian life how inconsistent I can be with the Word of God that I've had to wrestle in my own life on how do I grow and develop a love and a passion and a consistency in being and allowing the Word of God to abide in me. So listen, I'm I'm telling you, you've got to figure out a way for yourself on how to daily allow the Word of God to abide in you. Maybe for you, that's an audio Bible. Maybe for you, that's reading the Bible on your phone. Maybe for you, that's getting up in the morning or in the evening and having a quiet time where you're reading the Bible. Maybe for you, it's reading a chapter a day or, or a couple chapters a day. Maybe for, you, maybe for you, it's just simply reading a verse a day. Listen, whatever it is, we've just got to allow and get ourselves into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to, to abide in us because it will change us. It'll help us here to produce the fruit that God is looking for. Listen, I love you all. I love this passage of Scripture. It is so challenging to us. I just want to remind us that effective and fruitful Christian living Listen, it's not found in our own strength and our own wisdom and what we can accomplish on ourselves. It's found in us abiding and allowing Christ to be the source of our strength. It comes from us remaining in Him. Let me pray for us. God, just thank you for this word. Thank you for this gospel message. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand the way that you work. It's so different than the way the world is. God, I pray that we would embrace the idea of just abiding in you, of trusting in you and relying in you and allowing you to be the source of our identity, that our decisions would be made out of that abidance, out of that abiding in you. God, I pray for those of us in a season of pruning. God, you could say that the past couple of months, we've all experienced pruning in the middle of COVID. So God, I pray that we would look at this season and recognize that God, you are trying to help us to depend on you, that you are picking us up so that we would depend on the vine, that God, you are cutting us back so that we would grow stronger because we are depending on you. And so Lord, I pray that uh, you give us the ability to see that in our lives, that God, those that are, are, are being pruned, that you would comfort them encourage them to know that, God, you are at work in their lives, producing things, working things out for our good and for your glory. God, I pray that we would be a people who embrace this, that, God, we would allow the, the, the foundation of our lives and our decision-making processes to be our relationship with you and not anything else. So I pray today that we would make a choice, that we would make a choice that today I choose to abide in you and not these other things. And that tomorrow when we wake up and we have new choices that we have to deal with, that we would choose to again abide in you and not these other things. God, I pray that you'd continue to give us a hunger for your word, that we would allow your word to abide in us so that you would change our hearts through it, so that we would become more like you. God, I love you and praise you and thank you for the work that you have offered to do in our lives. And I pray, God, that we would have the faith and trust to listen to how simple this is, how the gospel is almost too simple for us. But God, I pray that you help us to embrace it, to live it out, that we would abide in you and that you would do far more than we could ever imagine in us and through us. God, I love you and praise you. And I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.